0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Downrange Podcast. Cody, coming to you again. Part two of our Q&A series with Mr. Neal. How are we doing today, buddy?
1: Good morning, Cody. Uh, we digressed a little too much on the last one, so we had to come back for more. Uh, so I think we, you know, we're going to try to stay on topic today. Get to, let's get
0: to some questions. That's the, that's the goal here. Well, I think that's the point of these Q&As is that as much as we try to stay on topic, it's just, it's difficult not to go a little filibuster on them from time to time. It, it's you just want to keep talking, giving more info out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, we want to, let's cover some ground today. We'll keep it tight. I appreciate you coming back on, first and foremost. Uh, it means the world to me. Do you know what also means the world to me? What's that? Our presenting sponsor, Mr. Ma. Mr. Golf, you are wearing the one arm hoodie. What do you know about that one arm hoodie? Uh, I know that it's awesome. It's provocative.
1: I've figured out the way to wear it. You got to put on a black shirt underneath, whether t shirt or long sleeve. But it's it's uh, it's kind of nice because sometimes up in the uh, the new office, I get uh, it gets a little drafty. But I'm a little chilly on this arm, but I'm. <laughs> I'm good on this side. So it's kind of like the uh, rookie of the year hot ice. You know, you heat up the ice cubes. It's the best of both worlds.
0: <laughs> for sure. The one-arm hoodie designed, uh, inspired by a fellow downrange guest, an adaptive golfer himself, and a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, Nick Kimmel. You can go back listen to his podcast. Basically, he came up with like, hey, Nick, you're missing three extremities. Can't really do much about pants. Shorts seem to work for you. But... When you're missing an arm and you're trying to swing, uh, people don't think about it a lot, but there's basically either a sleeve from a polo or a T-shirt. If you're wearing a hoodie, there's an extra long sleeve there now. What do you do with it? You just let it hang. Do you tuck it in? What is it? And he recommended, he said, hey, the best thing possible would be, why, why don't we just cut the sleeve off? And that's where the inspiration for it came.
1: Yeah, it's sweet. It's a level wear shift hoodie too, which is a bestseller in the NLU shop. And I would say Nick's swing is one of the most amazing Athletic moves I've ever seen. Watch them at the Simpsons Cup. So I think Mr. Ma's got some some swing footage on their Instagram worth worth checking out if you haven't seen it. But a man,
0: I think what a twelve handicap yeah. with with one limb and trending down. Still, he's definitely he's putting in the work, which is so yeah. great to see. All he wants to do is be a single digit, and I'm not just talking about like getting into the nine point whatever. Like he's gonna get as good as he possibly can, and he's dedicating a ton amount ton of time to it so good on nick good on mr mod golf we still have our sale running it's going to run through cyber monday for downrange listeners use code veterans that's veterans with an s at mrmodgolf.com and you'll receive 20 percent off appreciate them we also included them last week in the nlu newsletter there's a different code in there uh as well if people wanted to get involved or, or remember that but They have some new sweaters that I saw come out for their Black Friday Cyber Monday sale. They have a couple Bradley wool sweaters from H&B. They have a couple new polos that are up there and a couple new t-shirts. So whatever you're looking for, whether it's outer garments to keep you warm, polos, t-shirts, or even some hats. Love my Mr. Mod hat. Please check them out and follow them on Instagram at Mr. Mod golf. Neil, you ready?
1: I'm I'm ready to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a couple questions to kick things off, Cody. Let's get you in the booth for a second.
0: Ooh really
1: I got one from our guy, Alex Diebold, very broad from IG. What is what are you most proud of? Could be NLU or otherwise. I'm I'm more curious
0: than otherwise. Oof, I think this is like a default, but it is really true. I'm probably most proud of my like the kids that Yari and I are are raising that we produce the relationship that her and I have, and that's probably like first and foremost like the core of our household, keeping it the way that it is, so we don't mess up these kids and that we're hopefully move on to be presidents or leaders of this world, whatever. Or college softball players. For sure. So yeah, or college softball players or ballerinas or whatever they want to be, honestly. The best thing about my life is that I grew up in a household I was uh, instilled at a very, very young age from what I would say a very conservative father and a very liberal mother. And their parenting style was truly like, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And there's nothing that's going to hold you back. You do not care what other people say or think about you. You just go chase your dreams. Which is probably difficult or hard for people to like imagine from somebody who came from northern Montana. But it's created kind of the, the bedrock or baseline of how Yari and I live our lives both individually but really as a couple. So, family, first and foremost. Next biggest accomplishment... And I'm not just going to say like military service. There's one thing that I always say and I always look back. And I will never in my life be able to replace the feeling that I got. I talked a little bit about the war truck last week. But really what I want to focus in on is the very first village that we liberated from ISIS control in northern Syria. We planned it to be like a 48-hour offensive being it turned out to take us probably five days to complete the clearance through this very small couple thousand people village. And we're talking, I'm literally talking about like trench warfare, pushing people back, pushing people back. And by people, I mean ISIS at the time. While at the same time, letting civilians and the civilian population come to our side and protect them. By the time we got the entire village cleared through, back cleared to make sure that we got all IEDs, booby traps, you name it, there was no remnants of ISIS left. We lowered their ISIS flag. Of course, ISIS forced all women to wear complete covering their face, their hands, you name it. Uh, they were not allowed to be seen out in public. And led by our Kurdish partners, we basically had their a liberation ceremony. And it was me, probably 10, 11 other Americans there with a couple... 100 of our Kurdish partners at this village of thousands of people. They've gone through the last two years of absolute hell on earth. And our Kurdish friends gave the order to lower the ISIS flag from the center of their village. And they put back up the flag of of Kurdistan at the time. And there was a Syrian flag up there as well. And then kind of out of nowhere, without really thinking of it and me, kind of my ignorance of it, all the women started taking off their burkas. And I was like, oh, what kind of what's happening here? And it was the first time in public in years that they have been able to go out in the dress that they felt more comfortable with, most comfortable with, that they live their life with. And I remember looking around and seeing the men from teenagers all the way up to the village elder crying tears down their eyes because of the events that were unfolding directly in front of them. And the first time just having like goosebumps completely up my arm, not really believing what I was seeing and realizing that like, wow, like this is truly the hardships of war are different for a lot of people. These people obviously have lived through it. And just being able to have that experience and a memory that I truly will remember forever. We are so spoiled in the United States to live the life that we have. Especially this week on Thanksgiving, and things that uh, you know the rest of the world they have no concept of and never will have the opportunity of. Uh, it was truly, truly special. Lot there, a <laughs> lot of good stuff. So a couple things jump out at me.
1: It feels like it's interesting you brought up ISIS because it feels like that's such a true one of the only true versions of like good guys versus bad guys. Yeah, like it's you know this guy just bad hombres. Right, where, you know, so then my my next question would be, you know, you liberate or clear out a village in Afghanistan. Is it a little bit more gray in that situation where it's like, ah, we didn't really want you to be here. Or you guys kind of you guys kind of were the
0: reason that they were here anyway. Like, I feel like that's a a little bit of a different vibe, probably. Very much. And that's, that's spot on ISIS. When you think about it, it is a true... Good guys versus bad guys, you have the the white uniforms versus the blue uniforms, or black in their case. And Afghanistan, other conflicts that I've been a part of are a lot different. And I'd say every war or offensive that I've been a part of has always been gray. And what I mean by gray is that there's never just a black or white, there's just different shades of gray. Afghanistan, you would go and you would, in the beginning, you would go clear out Taliban from their village, and the same people, today they're telling you that they're good guys and they want to join the Afghan national army or police or whatever. And we're proud. We want to support Afghanistan to have it here for our future. Are also the same people tomorrow that are joining the Taliban. Sure. It doesn't matter what you did. They're just like, yeah, like you're here. This is cool. But like, really fuck you, man. Like you shouldn't be here in the first place. The whole reason why this is happening is because of you. And you know, over time that definitely wears on you. I think that's one of those things of we had a question last week of like, in leadership, how do you institute change? How do you accomplish a mission? And you're like, well, how do you, unless you have like a specific goal, what's your end goal? And you're continuing to work through that through however lines or phases or steps, you know, you're just going to continue to lift and shift it um over time and that's definitely the feeling that you get in afghanistan because at the end of the day no matter what you did was never enough it was never enough money that our country gave them it was never enough bad guys that we took off the battlefield for them it was just never enough for them well it's almost like
1: uh, this is going to be such a stretch analogy but I, i if i could relate in a way it would be i was sold on playing college football at columbia on you have the opportunity to change a losing program into a winning one. And I bought in hook, line, and sinker on that as a freshman. And we had the talent and we had, like, we had the dudes. And I thought we had, like, our, our head coach, Norries Wilson. I love that guy. We, I thought we had, like, the guy. Now, we, I don't want to get into the minutia of why, but the biggest reason is that winning, it's like the Lombardi quote is so true. Winning is a habit, and so is, so is losing. And – we lost in my 40 game career probably i mean i can remember 5 games my senior year probably the same amount my junior year and sophomore year by less than 3 points and Oof. and things would just break like instead of in high school on a winning team where it was like oh we're going to figure out a way to win this like we're not losing to these guys it was like the opposite truly the opposite feeling of like oh man this is like a collective uh, hallucination or something, you know, like every, you can almost just feel the sideline being like, okay, what's going to happen now? Is it going to be the uh, 12 man on the field penalty when we're getting the ball back with good field position after a big, you know, after a big stop, like on punt return, like who knows, right? It was just something new every time. Like the, the ways that the momentum would flip on us was just like, God, just habit. It's like tradition. And what I think about sometimes with Afghanistan is that that's like a 3000 year tradition, (laughs) Of like, oh, here come the invaders, like we're just gonna outlast these guys, you know? Like, but it's not uh the, the it's so hard to flip that, like ah, uh, why is this, why is this time any different? Right. And that would be on like a more global, more uh cent century time scale. But I just feel like I f- I found that firsthand, like found it out in a big way of like, man, that is it's so hard to change, it's hard to change a personal habit, but it's doable. It's so hard to change an organizational habit yes. uh, without just, like, truly burning it to the ground and, like, restarting. It's almost like, let me give you another stretch analogy. It's like fire versus flood when you talk about, like, would you rather your house burn down or flood? 1,000% burn down because, like, the flood, you just got you got to rip out all the wood. It sucks, man. And I feel like the, the losing stuff is a little bit, like... It's just really hard to clear out all the mold, right? No matter what you do, there's still some of those guys from the former regime, former coaching staff, whatever it is, that's just like, man, not everybody's going to get on board because they have this scar tissue from, from some previous experience. That's also just,
0: Um, I think that's a, it's a very Western mentality to have. Because we get so used to having immediate results. We're yeah. programmed to have immediate successes or failures. You figure out your new game plan, whatever it is from there, and then you reattack. Um Bolton, it doesn't have to be military by any means. Like in, in life, you don't realize that like the rest of the world and in saying this, I'm thinking back to, you know, a month or so ago when we we're in Korea. You know, the people of South Korea and what the South Korean government are putting, like, steps in place that, like, little by little, year over year, every 10 years, you know, the relationship and the possibility of a reunification of the Korean peninsula is one step closer. We do not think that way. Americans definitely do not think that way. We think of, like, right now, what's happening right now? How are we going to fix this right now? Which is probably, like, not to take this in a political slant, which is why we never get shit done. Yeah. Ever. That's why everything is just filibustered and then an ultimate stalemate because there's never a compromise, and you're never looking for, yo, what we are doing right now, the little thing that you do, that you add to your routine, that you change right now... The butterfly effect of that 20 years from now could be for a greater society. And I talk about this a lot on the Trap Drop, but if you want to talk about like the biggest threat to the world, it's that China's 15 years into executing their 50-year plan. For sure. And the United States is like, oh, what are we doing? So, yeah, back to Afghanistan. Just, oh, here comes another one. And just because that generation of people that I fought against, whether it was the Taliban or Haqqani or anything else like that, was new and they haven't experienced war before, their fathers and their grandfathers told them the same story about, like, yeah, but, like, we just saw this, like, 30 years ago when I was your age, when Russia was here. And my grandfather saw this, you know, 30 before that, and it just keeps going. Yep. And, like, when you take a step back and think about that and, like, how crazy that is, like you feel bad for people. You feel bad for like civilization. And yeah. from our standpoint, you're like, we'll change it. Just change it. But it's so difficult, man.
1: Well, and it's it's a I, I think in some ways it's naive, but it's also a credit to like it, Americans are optimistic. It's like, yo, yeah. we can change this. And it's like, dude, you don't get it, you know? Yeah. And it's a little bit like there's fault on both sides for that. Not to I'm gonna flip flip back to the 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 Kurdish homies for a second cuz something else you said about the ISIS situation was interesting to me you it was the kurds that are in charge in that situation they yes. decided to raise lower the flag raise their own they're kind of running that op you guys are support how how does that work for you because i'm i'm guessing like you guys are the you know the tip of the spear the best trained in the world like are you taking orders from those guys? Like, what what is that working relationship like with a, a, a I don't want to call it a militia, but like a you know a well organized ally, that's vi- that, that's not like part of
0: NATO. Yeah. So there's things that are called FID missions, so foreign internal defense, and underneath FID or running parallel to a FID mission is what is called double A AA or AAA or UAA. Lots of acronyms as we talk about, but. Basically, at the core of it, you have an advise and assist mission. As the United States, we've learned enough. Like, we're not going to, like, a straight-up invasion. Think Iraq invasion. Think Afghanistan. Like, that's not – like, we didn't get the best results from that. Nor is that the country that, like, is requesting the help and we see, like, these atrocities happening. Like, that's that's not what they need. So, specifically for – for isis not only in iraq but then what happened in northern syria we started as an advised and assist and what really it was was unaccompanied so you have kurdish troops on the front lines doing all the clearance and the united states but really a coalition of partners so you know all of the united states and our allies primarily great britain australia new zealand are providing air support so airstrike They are relaying us locations of the enemy. We are shooting rockets and missiles and things like that. To them, we're providing support to their leadership. So we're working through battle planning and everything else like that. We're we're providing supply issues and running supply convoys for them. We're doing basically everything except for being the face out in the very front that that local populace is seeing. Now that changed over time because when you actually get down to like you know timelines are put in place from Washington D.C. and you know all of this and people say oh you know every time there's an election that comes around there's always seems to be a mysterious military operations or something like that and that is one thousand percent like true so at you know No matter what cycle you're in of the political process, that's really where you can tie what your military rules of engagement are going to be. And quickly within the ISIS conflict, we were approved to go accompanied. So hand in hand, side by side, you would have a team of Americans with a team of our Kurdish partners.
1: And that's because they're looking for quicker results. 100%. They want, they want a headline, a good one.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's cooperation. So we're saying, hey, this is not an American-led mission. This is a Kurdish, oh. this is Iraqi-led. Um, but ultimately, like, there are, we can still, like, American can feel good because our, our boys are still out there doing, you know, what's right in this world and, and taking care of everything that's, that's wrong. Um, but realistically, let me tell you what goes on. Like, unaccompanied only lasts until the first round is fired. And what we've learned time and time and time and time again, the just based off of the years of experience, the level of training, and the true fight and grit, the heart of a fighter, which I would consider myself a fighter, my partners don't necessarily have. Now, some of them are. Some of them are the best, the most heroic war fighters that I've ever been around. Truly brave men and women. Because I'll say this. Specifically in northern Syria, there's entire battalions Full of what they called the YPJ, which were all female units, which was an amazing thing for us once we figured that out and figured out how to properly utilize them. And realistically, like the clearance and the war in Raqqa, ISIS's capital, was won by the YPJ, just relentless fighters. But it takes time. And what happens when you come from an unaccompanied role to an accompanied role There's naturally, just like in anything in life, who's in charge? Who's the boss here? And it's very, very hard because you see something done incorrectly or wrong and you just want to, hey, I'm going to go do it. And you have to have the the restraint to be able to say, hey, this is what I recommend. Not this is what I would do. This is what I recommend. And you take your men and please figure out the best way for you guys to accomplish it. And we're going to be standing right here supporting you however it goes until a shot's fired, and then we're both doing it all together. So clearances simultaneously, you're moving through villages, buildings, you name it, like high, low sweeps. Everybody's getting shot at by the same enemy bullets.
1: But I got to think the, when it becomes accompanied, now you guys are at much more of a risk. So you can't really, I mean, I I would think that would be very frustrating for a well-trained small group of like, you know, you guys are going to, you guys can get us killed, but yes. then you kind of have to play ball. Like how quick does that cooperation, I'm sure it's case by case, but let's take the Kurds for example. Like, are they open to that feedback or are they like you're on their territory? You're, you're, you're messing with their turf. Is there a lot of like, are there, are there politics going on?
0: Uh, yes and no. I will say that it doesn't matter who you're on the battlefield with as American at the the American war fighting machine doesn't matter what branch you're in is taught our friendlies and the enemies the exact same and you are all required that's why we have rules engagement that's why you have if there's an injured enemy fighter on the battlefield you still provide him aid the 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 days of like walking up and like finishing him off like those are long gone like if he's you find an injured dude, like, you're treating him. And most of the time, you're treating him out of your own aid kit, like, out of your stuff that's there for you. And you're providing him speed to the rear, which would be you're trying to transport him as fast as you possibly can back to the nearest aid station, medical facility, to make sure that he is okay, because that's what not only is written out in the Geneva Convention, but that's, like, that's what every human being on this earth should be provided. So, when you're on like a joint and a joint mission, and just because I might be an American, wear an American flag, and my partners, whether they're Iraqi, Kurdish, Afghans, you name it, like we all treat them the exact same.
1: But do you feel like the in this situation, the Kurds, like are they, were they naturally, what's the right word, not deflecting, but uh, like letting you guys take? take the lead or were they, did they want to be the lead dog? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. I'm sure there were some disagreements, but like, you know, for who, sure. I would say at the, the argument,
0: the senior leaders of the Kurds. So the Kurds in Northern Syria have a lot different than the Kurds of Northern Iraq. The Kurds in Northern Syria were a lot more, um, they would defer to United defer. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in our decision making and our decision-making and what's going on now. I think a lot of that is based off of, like, politics again, is that America is here, they're helping us, that's great. Oh, they're pulling out, now they're leaving and they're packing everything up. Oh, nope, they're staying again. Uh, What's going on? And the same thing with the Kurds in northern Iraq. The issue is, is that the Kurds in northern Iraq also worked with us during, like, the Iraq invasion. Like, we started that partnership in, like, 2006. So just based off of years of working together which we pulled out of that relationship too. But they know that when we're there, we're there. Sure. And the only thing that we're caring about is mission success. Now, when we leave, I'm sorry, like that's clearly so much, so much higher than our pay grade. Um, And not a lot can be done, but like while we're there, like we are 1000% in this together.
1: Last thing I'll go back to from your answer. Something that's always stuck with me is it is cl- not, I don't want to say cliche, but of course you're going to start with family stuff. But you gave me a stat on like special ops marriages. What is it? Like <laughs> 90% of them. Yeah. A lot. Divorce. A lot. So I i think that's something that you can definitely more unique to you than anybody else. Be very, very proud of.
0: Well, thank you. It, Which uh, is very cool. Yeah. And I mean, obviously well-documented on this podcast, the, the highs and lows of, of my relationship, but it's also like when you dedicate your entire life to service and in order to do that and like to make sure that you ultimately like are successful and by like success means that you, I don't want to say like that you are like alive because there's definitely been like moments in my life where I've been completely okay with death. And I know that's very heavy to say. But if it means that like me sacrificing myself for one of my brothers or people that I love and care about because of the situation that we find ourselves in, I'm okay with that. And like I've, I've, I made that bet a long, long, long time ago. But once you pull yourself out of that and realize like what you actually want to do with your life and what you as a spouse and partner like should be providing, like that's extremely selfish because like at no point in time did i ever really mention my partner the person that i chose i chose to bring in and live this life with me and i'm like one of the lucky ones because we figured out a way through a ton of hard work and pain to like fix the stuff that wasn't good and it all comes back to like communication and being as like clear and brutally honest and saying things when little flares pop up and just, like, trying to to figure it out and live the life that you both deserve. I don't have a as much of a
1: visceral example as that. It's more but what you're saying resonates with me because there's almost, uh, like, moments in your life. Not all of them are life and death like they are for you where you're, like, what? you almost have the light bulb moment of, like, hey, wait a second. Like you, you see it happening. I have an opportunity to fix this, go a different direction, and like you, you almost um, internalize it. You know, it's like you, you hear that some you know people give you the same advice over and over and over again, and all of a sudden they'll just kind of like click for you, where you're just like, oh, wait a second, like I've you know I need to wake up here, right? And that's a very uh, like I guess a good example going back to you know, college football was like, I was in high school. I was so against playing football. I was like too cool. I was like, man, I'm just, you know, I was playing the drums. I'm just going to like, I don't know. I'm going to do something different. I don't I don't want to play football. I'm burned out, you know, and my Tron and my cousin Ryan and my cousin Chase, we were at the beach before my senior year. And they were like, I mean, they just like put a couple bullets in my head of like, okay, cool. So let's go through this. Like your grades are, they're Okay. You're gonna end up at you know UGA, which there's nothing wrong with that, but like, you know, probably gonna join a fraternity over there. Is that how does that sound? Well, no, I'm not. I you know, I want to go to like a good school. All right, well, your grades aren't good enough, so you need to start looking at this less as like a a burden and more as an opportunity. Like yeah. this is your ticket. This is this is like the card you can play to go do the, you know, Jack Kerouac, whatever stupid dream thing that you have. Like this is this is the only way you're gonna be able to do that. So you need to wake the fuck up, and that's like, uh, it's like, oh man, like it finally clicked, right? And 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 I'm lucky because it clicked soon enough for me to take advantage of it. Instead of look back and be like, ah, dude, I should have, I should have, because there's some examples of that too. Right? (laughs) I wish I would have thought of that sooner.
0: Isn't that crazy that that life decision is literally made at your seventeenth year on this world? Sure. On this I remember Coach
1: Wilson used to say that he said that in our recruiting meetings. He'd be like, "This is the second most important decision that you're going to make behind who you're going to marry, yep. because it kind of sets up your network for the rest of your life." Um, and it doesn't, you know, there's it, it just it kind of puts you on the path. Like obviously, you can you can change that, and and we could go into all kinds of discussions about whether that's you know should college education be that <laughs> right? Uh, right. That's a, probably for a different pod, but. Uh, you know, it's hard to argue with that, you know, looking back. And, like, I think I did not have a normal college experience. Like, people are like, hey, what do you think about Columbia? It's, eh, it was weird. But one thing I did like about it is I felt like my college experience got better every year. I got the hang of it. I had a tough freshman year. It, You know, New York City, you're 18, you can't drink, you have no money, it's tough. And you're getting beat up, and nobody cares about your football team, and... You know, people just get lost, especially at that age in the city. Like, I don't know how people go to NYU, because that's that doesn't even have any resemblance of a campus. And then as you get the hang of it, the, you're almost like sphere of influence in the city. Like, all this stuff just starts to open up for you by senior year. Like, man, like I was, I guess I was ready to graduate, but I was I was not like in to get out. If that makes sense. Whereas I think a lot of people, a lot of my friends that did go to UGA. It was awesome their freshman year. I was so jealous. Remember going to visit. It was awesome their sophomore year when they joined the fraternity or whatever. They got to live in the big house. And then it's like junior, senior year, they're all looking to go abroad or they're all taking a semester off. Or, you know, and then senior year, they're just like, I want to get the hell out of here, man. It's small town, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, they look back very fondly on like the good times, but I don't think they grow. It doesn't, it doesn't get better and better every year. So I have to like acknowledge that. I think that's a very unique thing to go into school in a city. There's a lot of negatives; they probably outweigh a lot of the positives. But I think that is a good a good progression, better than some schools
0: for sure. I feel bad too because this is not the case for you, but this is a lo- the case for a lot of people who grow up very much into athletics, very good at sports, go to college, get the opportunity, whether through scholarship or walking on and playing college athletics that like the highlight of their life, they peaked at 21 years old, a senior on that college football team, maybe getting playing time, but maybe not. But like that is the peak of their life. And I never wanted to be that. I think that was my resistance
1: to to it in high school was like the whole babies and memories thing. Like, yeah, it was almost like reassuring myself that i don't care too much about this whether that was right or wrong it was like a probably a very defense defensive mechanism for me on the flip side of that though if i didn't play college football i think i would have really struggled if i had just gone to uga i probably would have gotten deep into the music scene probably smoking a ton of weed like i don't think the fraternity thing was going to be for me i probably would have had a massive identity crisis which it's good that you you know, you almost explored it. And then once I was done with like with football, I was ready f- to stop playing football. Like I don't look back and I'm like, oh God, I, I miss being on the field so much. And so maybe the fact that I played on a shitty team was <laughs> was a good thing. And I'm very proud that I played all four years because it was a whole different aspect of what it what it's like to play a sport and your team doesn't excel. Like that was a that was a good, very good experience for me. What you're outlining, though, I think that is not unique to college athletes or high school athletes. It, it probably is characterized better in, like, movie and literature, like with Friday Night Lights. But I, I see it with, you see it with pro athletes. I think these guys that come out of the NFL really, really struggle with this. I think it, I would say the veteran community. Yeah. I mean, where like, straight up, like, where are you getting the juice, dude? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think you said to me a year ago, we were in, maybe more, like, we were in Fort Worth. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good about like replacing the gun with the camera. Like I'm getting enough, enough juice. Right. But like, there's gotta be, that's gotta be the hardest transition. I honestly, I've seen it with like, I feel like I've seen it with my dad, CEO for 15 years, executive for probably double that. And then you retire, you know, retires, not young, but it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, now what? Like everybody used to, everybody used to listen to me.
0: Exactly. That's it. Right. It's like the influence that you would have on those around you Yes. and the friendships that you formed through those times. For me specifically, I'll say this, is that one of the best, best, best things Yari ever did is when I first started nulling up, she said, hey, your transition is hard. And I knew that and I've read books on transition and everything else like that out of service into the normal life. But she said, what I think would be really good, and I know you're going to like laugh this away and do whatever. She's like, I think you need to talk to a life coach. Sure. And I was like, well, of course, at the time I was like, I don't know about this. Like, what are you talking about? I already see a shrink for other things. Like, not trying to fix this stuff. She's like, no, you're new in a career. And I think... You don't want. What you need to do is not put things into categories or define them, but you need to figure out the building blocks to what you want to become. And a life coach is going to provide that. And the biggest thing, and I still see life coach to this day, highly, highly recommend it. The biggest thing that I taught was was taught is what your circle of concern is versus a circle of influence. And what you described in your brother and your cousin was a circle of concern. They're within your circle. They're people who you naturally seek out, that they can provide advice, feedback, whatever, and it resonates with you. Versus people that are in an outer, larger circle that you, let's say, negative things or tear you down or provide stuff through their actions or through their words, that are, are they don't provide you any way of pivoting or recommendations to improve or anything else like that. And they're ultimately just like a negative train on you. Yeah. And for a long time, I had a lot of people in my life that were in that outer ring who provided nothing, whether it was, yo, let's go like grab a beer. Everybody needs that. Everybody deserves to have that friend. I hope everybody has that friend, except for when that person... That is constantly saying, "Yo, let's go have a beer." Is just a raging alcoholic who is just gossiping and providing bullshit about whatever the good old days were and how they were wronged all these different times and fuck this and fuck that and the woe is me. God, our, our head coach used to say, "I hear you guys talking,
1: man. Coach is fucking me, man. Yeah, I see you balling. You know, yeah. it's that whole that whole like that. That is such a." negative weight on a team
0: for sure on a,
1: on a human, you know, it's yeah. just like
0: you get on the negative train with somebody. It's, it can be difficult to get out of that spiral. So the pleaser in me always wanted to keep those around because I think deep in your mind, you're like, Oh, they're you always want to be there. You, you might be able to fix a man. You don't want to lose them because yep. you, know, you don't know who else is there for them, but you don't realize all the fucking bullshit and the weight that are on top of your shoulders because of their presence in your life and trying to figure out how to cut that, cut the cord with them. Well, I struggle with that a little bit with my, the wedding invite list.
1: Right. And you know, uh, Tron had a really good, I was, I was stressing about it back probably this time of year, last year. And he, he kind of simplified it for me. He's like, listen, you need to think about this as a, who do you see yourself being, having a, Positive relationship or being close to or wanting to keep touch with keep in touch with in ten years. And, and and instead, I was looking a lot at like who was I close with ten years ago? Yeah, right. College, you know, it's a little bit like you gotta. And I thought that was a much better way to think about it, and then it, it kind of simplified some stuff. And I, you know, you, it, some people got a little upset with me, and it's like, hey, we'll of check course. it out, man. Like, I don't. I we used to be tight, but like. <sighs> You got, I got, you know, that kind of made, made it easier for me to be honest about some of those relationships.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, it's hard. Not only like that, but like just weddings in general, the, the first sure. up with the Joneses, the comparing to this to oh, that, God. and like, Oh yeah, the, that, the we're not, not going there. We're, and whatever we're and digressing. Else. Okay. God, we've only, we've Come only on.
1: gotten through one question. What the
0: hell? Thank you, Alex Diebold. I got another one for you. By the way, Alex, former guest, listen to the podcast. Awesome guy. And is finally back up on a snowboard. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I have seen it. He's, he's on the road again. Shoot
1: incredible. All right, I got a let's go lighthearted with this one. Uh Goldrick, has playing golf on camera affected your enjoyment of golf? Cody, I'm interested in hearing your your thoughts on this as as someone who went from being in the shadows as a career to now being on camera and now it's mixed in with an activity that used to be I guess like a stress relief for you.
0: Yes, it very much was and still is. I can say this is that the camera is only noticeable at the very beginning, and I think that's just through the process of micing up and syncing and everything else like that. Post that, like, it's, you, you. I don't really notice it. Now, what is weird is watching yourself. Sure. Like, you know, it's fine in the moment, but then when those videos come out, and even though you try to not pay attention to it, and I think that we have, like, An incredible fan base that not a lot of other people in this weird world of golf content are afforded. But like everything's usually very, very positive and not letting like the one person get in and like rot your brain. Sure. But there's always going to be one. We see you. I see you. We replace all of our divots, okay? Yeah. So Just because you don't see it on camera doesn't mean it's not happening. But yeah, what Uh, about you,
1: man? I I think he nailed it with the way that we play golf on camera. I think has a lot to do with it in, in a lot of ways enhancing it. Like I like being in the arena. And so that yes. adds some juice. And I think the 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 new stuff that we've done with the mics, like I going back to the Taurus sauce last week with, um, like I remember you getting the shot on 14 at Great Northern. You had the telephoto lens. You're up on the hill. You're like 200 yards away. And, we forget you're there. Right. And so I'm talking to Tron about like his putting issues, talking about the yips. I'm like, dude, you can get out of this. Like, I have no idea that we're on camera. You know (laughs) what I mean? So you're right in that you forget about it. And I think it really helps that like anybody that's there with us is like a known quantity. So, which probably, you know, you could make the argument from a business standpoint that we should hire more freelancers and take some pressure off of ourselves. But there is a, there's something about like having a random camera crew. I see it that you go to these Callaway shoots. These players come over to, to our station, if you want to call it that. Sally and I are there. It's just the two of us. We've got two cameras. We set one up on the tripod. The other guy holds the other one. And we film a five to ten minute video with them. And they're like, they've all four guys, Hadwin, Norin, Rom, and um uh Van Royen. they all said the same thing. Like, this is it? Like, where's the rest of the crew? And it's like, no, it's just us, man. We're gonna throw this mic on you. And, and, and you almost sense them within the first 30 seconds of relief, the red dot being on, like, they're just totally normal. Yeah. And then you go over and you go to the other station. It's like 15 guys, one guy's doing the lighting and one guy's holding up the freaking, you know, light diffuser. And it just, it's hard to be natural in that setting. Now do their videos do those videos look more professional? Yeah, they probably do. But you know, you start to pick up tricks on how to make that stuff look a little more professional. And and honestly, the way the, the world's trending is like I don't know if everybody wants it to be that that buttoned up, if that makes sense. Well not all. You know, in that. some ways, everybody wants to see up. TikTok. They want it to be yes. the opposite. So yes. I think all that leads to the cameras do not affect my enjoyment of golf. I think But that, but that is there's a there's a as we just talked about a lot of caveats, a lot of asterisks on why that is. I think the cameras could could do that if we did it the wrong way,
0: right? And I think we do a really good job. Like there could have there could be multiple videos that have been published that like could have been canned because of bad play or bad days or whatever, and like we're like. I think we're the quickest to be like, oh yeah, like that's, that's on me, man. Like that, that doesn't mean I had a job to do today. I went out and I accomplished it and that was to get this video shot and it's not my best day, but I'm going to write it out because I know that's what is expected of me out of this job. But you have, real quick, you've had an incredible evolution from, First, starting on camera and getting better and better and better, and it's well documented. And looking back on that, it has to be incredible for you. It it is. I I guess I was never.
1: I've never been like uncomfortable on camera. You can try too hard, and then you start to. But you almost get to know yourself. It's almost like anything you get experience at. You you can you feel the triggers. Yep. Hey, I'm getting a little. I'm spinning out of control. Like take it. Take a step back. Like say less take a hole off, whatever it is, you know, you almost just, you can, you just gotta be aware of yourself a little more when the camera's running, but what helps that a lot, and it's back to the original point, is like you, it's you and Ben and DJ, or it's Solitron, Tron, Randy, or maybe a couple other known quantities behind the camera, which then enables, like you guys are characters in the show because like we're playing off of you. Right. Where if that's some random guy, it's a lot harder to reset yourself, right, or, Like, I'm able to play off of you guys in a way that, even though you're not on camera, it's like, people ask me, like, who, you know, my family, or who's filming this? It's like, oh, what's Cody and Ben? They're like, you know, and then you guys pop up. You're like, your character's in the the movie. It's great. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's almost like we consistently break the fourth wall. DJ does it on Strapped, and that's a huge reason why Strapped is good, is because if it was just Randy and I with some random producer, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Right. We almost have to have that like invisible hand back there of like, hey man, toss us another hula hoop. Like this one's this one's not working.
0: (laughs) And what else? Constantly just needling it, moving the levers, pulling a little bit more juice out of it. I completely agree.
1: All right, I'm gonna dive back in here on a, a kind of more of a life question. It's from our very own big Randy, Phil underscore landis. Phil lands on IG. Maybe that's not Big Randy. Who knows who that is? Definitely. I'm definitely. curious what you guys think is a missing piece in your lives right now. Big or small.
0: That's definitely a life question.
1: Yeah. So I've got a I got one answer. I think even though I know what comes with this, I think a dog is a missing piece in my life right now. And that's a shout out to the big guy cuz I know he hates dogs. But I'm excited to get a dog. Uh we're, we hopefully we'll have one in Next, probably by March next year. And uh, I think it's going to be a black lab. And I'm really pumped to dive into and, and accept the responsibility of training the dog, knowing that I work from home and that I'm gonna, he's going to be laying right here at my feet. And I want a well-trained dog that fucking listens to me. That's what I'm looking for. And I think that would be a, uh, a, a, a big addition to my life.
0: Is that the answer that Carson wants to hear?
1: Uh, Oh, she wants a dog bad. But I, uh, so I've always, I love, love dogs. Like had labs growing up and I've always wanted one. I'm just very, uh, this is where I do have some self-control and self-discipline of like taking the long-term perspective. And I've always been very worried about having a dog in the city, like a lab that needs to get out and and play. And, but there's an answer to all that. Right. And so I've been very patient on holding the line on like, it's, You know, If it was up to Carson, we would have had one in 2020 when we were living in Jacksonville, which is like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But my head was like, we don't know when we're going to move. We don't know where we're moving. We don't know what we're doing. So I don't want to bring a dog into the uh, equation because I feel like that'd be unfair to the dog.
0: Well, I'm excited for you. You guys have been talking about a new pup for a long, long time. So when that does happen, I know you're going to be an awesome dog, Dad. Very, very easy. And I think it's something that like, you know, when we talk about getting out, exploring the city, just trying to be more active. I think, like, the dog culture is really, really cool.
1: It's how I've met three or four people in the building. Like, there's a Bernese doodle down the hall. There's a, a lab a couple floors down. You, know, you see him in the elevator. It's an easy, like, talking point. Absolutely. Oh, there's Hudson. And then you meet the owner, and everybody's, you know, it's 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 really uh, good and a, and a good reason, again, to, like, I've really enjoyed – Walking around the city, like finding excuses to go run errands so I can take a walk. Well, a dog is always an excuse to go for a walk. Um,
0: Dogs before kids are the best. It's perfect. And then when you introduce the kids into your life and the dogs are still there, they can grow together. The dogs are a little bit older and are well-behaved and can handle it. And it's just the phases of life have been incredible. As I say, both dogs are in here with me right now. Laying at your feet? Fred, yep, the beagle's at my feet and the blue healer's looking out the door wondering, uh, what are we going to do, Dad? When are we going to when, go when, walk? The, when, the, when Wondering
1: when the UPS guy's going to show up. For
0: sure. Loves attacking the front door.
1: All right, what do you
0: got? What's missing? This is a very hard and complex question, and I appreciate it from the big man because he always makes us think a little bit deeper in life. I would say that I'm still... I'm still trying to find my tribe in Texas. And it's not because I haven't been like invited or anything else like that. I just you know, moving is hard. It takes time to settle. I've never been in a happier place work-wise, family-wise, but it's just one of those things where you know you you hey man, like I'm a I need to belong to a pack. And uh, it would be really cool to to be able to have some some good friends around the city that you can go hang out with and, and things like that. So that's what's missing right now. And I I think it, it comes back to, uh, to just like normal relationships between men, right? And which is always weird for some people to talk about. And I, I have no issues talking about it. I think the relationships that I've had with... Men in my life have been through hardship, through pain, through mutual understanding, and I'm searching for that now because I think that's a the probably the biggest void that I have currently in my yeah. life.
1: I, I would that resonates with me. My closest friends are via hardship, football, yep, common uh, pursuit of a common goal. And, you could
0: even say NLU in that way. Yeah, and not saying that they're not. It's still a part of my life. It's just being around them, you know relationships so well, you know, listen adult male friendship
1: that's a that's an interesting topic in our in our society right now it is um and one like not a, and not one It's like it's it's a worthy thing to be pursuing. I think golf is a great tool for that I agree, but you gotta be you gotta be ready like so the the roosts are a perfect example, right. Yes. But, but, and I want to get involved with the one in New York, but you know, I have to, it, it has to be me that like almost chooses to do it. Yes. So you kind of kick the can down the road and that's, we talked about that on the last pod too of like, ah, you know, I'm, I know I should be doing these things, but I'm not just yet because I'm trying to clear the decks on some other stuff. Right. But it's also, you know, I think it's. I, the easy answer is like, Oh, you have kids or you have a dog, like go meet people that way. But some of it is like, go try to meet people like where you're comfortable. Like, if you like to read books, like go figure out a place where you can read books in public. God, <laughs> shout out to the big guy. Right. I talked to him a lot about that of like, you know, you, you don't want to meet, you want to meet a woman, like try to meet them in an environment. That's going to be like beneficial to a long term sustainability. Like, which is probably not in a bar. Yeah. Um, Nothing wrong with that though. Just just trying to be thoughtful about like what where you put yourself. If you have if you have the time and the choice and you can be thoughtful about it. I guess the other big thing that's missing for me which which I don't know if it's missing is the right word, but it's like I guess balance, right? Everybody talks about life balance. I don't really buy into it. And I think I thought a lot about this actually since our first pod a few weeks ago. It's like I'm very goal oriented. That's been, that's on the record here in the booth. <laughs> that's what I get jacked up about too, though. Like that's what, that's what gets me going. That's what I like to sit down and grind. I like to see results. So when you say like, oh, I want more balance in my life. Well, how can I set goals for balance then? Right. I have to like work within like what motivates me because it's hard for me. to Like, oh, shut your computer at 5 PM, you know, or like
0: you've talked about you, that though.
1: Well, I, I have and I tried it like I try not to keep my phone in the bedroom things yeah. like like I those are those are easy but some of them are like finding mentors or you know on my goal list the last couple of years has been like take a do a master class or one of these like learn learn a new skill right that's yeah. all the stuff that gets like kind of shoved aside so I've tried to do that but I'm not quite it's not quite where I want it. Let me put it that way. Like, I, I feel, I don't want to say one dimensional cause I'm, I think I'm very versatile within like the confines of NLU, but it's one dimensional in that it's like this or like Carson, what can I do for you? Right. <laughs> right. It's not like, there's not like a, a, a third bucket of personal, personal escape right now.
0: Dude, I think this is why this last year and going to Scandinavia and like this, the Swedish summer was so impactful for me and being there. We're like their government is telling them, we want you to have a work life balance. This is your time. Yeah. Life is so hard. The clock, like everybody becomes just a slave to the clock and you're just, what else? And you're constantly driven internally and by external factors of like more, 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 more to where you're like, that the the end time is never defined and there it was so clear and everybody was just doing it and it made so much sense that I was like fuck man like why can't we do that but like I know that will never become a possibility in the way that we currently live our lives in the United States but what can I learn from that and put back into my normal life
1: well I think you and I have an opportunity to do it like I think I think Randy does a great job of that. You know, like getting, I want to I wanna go to more NBA games, get some nugget tickets. I want to ski more. You know, like you got to, sometimes you got to put a little money into it, yeah. right? To make sure you, it probably, just the way that our country's wired. Okay, I invested money in this. I should take advantage of it, right?
0: There's always that little fellow up there on your shoulder though, saying, oh, what do you got to do? Yeah, I know. And so that's where,
1: but that's why, like, I'm almost trying to trick myself into thinking, like, nope, this is important. Like, I've set a goal; I need to hit my goals. Like, so I'm on book ten this year, and I got two. I got to get two more to hit that twelve books in the year, which would be the first time in three years that I did it. So, I'm trucking through one about James Garfield right now, which is great. I read another book though that also kind of impacted this thought was the Four Thousand Weeks yep. book, DJ. Read it. I read it back in March or April. It was great. It was, but it was basically this concept of like the authors just tried so hard to like be the most productive person of all time. Just productivity hacks, this is shit you see on Twitter all the time. Right. Like, and that stuff is so attractive to somebody that thinks like me. And then you realize it's like, well, check it out, dude. You only got like four thousand weeks in your whole life. Like, maybe you should not focus all of it on like how can you get to a zero inbox world? You know, maybe you should zoom out a little bit. So we're, we're the first step is acknowledging and thinking about these things and saying it out loud. So thank you for the thoughtful question, Mr. Big
0: Cody. What will you get? Give me one. What do you got? Well, let's see. Your brother threw one in here again, trying to poke at,
1: Listen, we're playing the fifth on that one.
0: I I don't, I mean, that's for a different show altogether. There's going to be no Columbia. Well, that
1: probably feeds into another one from C. Tallin19. Who has the most annoying bit in the NLU crew? (laughs) Yeah. That's a question for you, Cody.
0: I mean, a lot of them are, like, you just become immune. You're numb to them over time. Uh, When Tron and DJ play really bad, and they all of a sudden flip it into, like, no, I was under par today. You're like, come on, man. Like, I understand the glass half full part of it. But ultimately, I originally thought it was very annoying. But it's Randy's, like, overall aesthetic about golf. And I know it rubs a ton of people the wrong way. Like, oh, a big guy, like, hates golf. What is he doing? Like, <laughs> why would he even do this? And over time, once you realize it, you're like, Wow you just are not seeing things through his perspective, through the way that he sees golf. And I think everybody lives in like this little bubble of like the golf that they live and experiences out in their municipality at their club. And then they, the only other golf they consume is on TV or maybe on Twitter. And when you take a step back and look at it all, you're like, wow, like there is a lot of craziness involved around this sport and maybe it is a little too much.
1: I mean as somebody who has plenty of annoying bits and quotes way too many movies and has a lot of bad analogies I you know I feel seen by our by our guy here C tallin 19. I think the the Randy one's interesting though I think that's more a product of something that we we've discussed a little bit the last 2 or 3 months the the NLU thing is a blending of it's hard to keep the personal and the business separated. And so and we, you know, we're thinking about this for next year of like like majors for instance. It's like, okay, I kind of have like live show I'm on Thursday, but I'm not on Friday, but I'm on Saturday and Sunday and maybe Sunday. So, I'm not really off Friday though cuz I can't just pop in on Saturday without watching the golf on Friday. So then it just leads you to be in this like in the in between. Right. Like where you're like, yeah, I'm kind of off or like, oh, yeah, I'm going to dinner with Carson, but I should check. You know, you're just distracted, basically just perpetually distracted. Yeah. And so you're kind of stuck in the middle, um, which I think leads to just being it it just leads to a little bit of apathy. And some of us are better at disguising that apathy than others. (laughs) And I think that's why we all love the big man is because he's just like, this is how I feel right now. So I'm not going to like fake it. Which in the end is like a that's like a a compliment, but it's just us thinking about ways we can put each other in a position to succeed. So where's like, the bit hey. in that? It, there's not one, but it like it looked like the the defense mechanism is the bit yeah. of like, well, I'll just fall back on this, right? Like the bits are annoying when it's when it's a get out of jail card, a little bit because you got nothing else to say. The bits are great when it's like additive or almost a proactive bit. These are all things. These are all things we discuss. Like I know. I think techniques.
0: that's that's why we're talking about it is that surprisingly, like, these questions are not, outside of Randy's and, like, getting, like, kind of deep on what's missing from your personal life, all the business-related things are, I think, what we do a phenomenal job of talking about often. Yeah. And, and stuff like, you know, the
1: census helps with that. Yep. It's like, listen, we said it earlier, like, you can't take everybody's feedback, and some people think they, you know, can charge an hourly rate for their... It's like, but dude, you don't know, no offense, but you don't know fucking 80% of why we do what we do. (laughs) But I, I, what I can promise people is we are, we are thoughtful about this shit. Probably too thoughtful. Honestly, it's like, I wish the rest of the media industry is a little more thoughtful.
0: Well, I don't think that's, they think like at at all. I think they, I know the first thought is like, is this going to pop? Yeah. Case in point yesterday. I mean, I, I don't want to like dog people, but like. In what world did did you see like the tweet from Galt Digest?
1: I did. I mean, I, I can't think of anything less, more tone deaf than that. I, I
0: just don't like who's ever thought that that was a good idea.
1: I don't know. I, I It's just when you just, I guess, turn, turn the business over to the spreadsheet. Yeah. Hey man, we need some clicks like end of the year. We got some sponsors that did some upfront buys. Maybe they're not happy. Like, I mean, I, I straight up, I think the decision like that is probably engagement and money driven. Hey, we need this. We need this to look good for, because we're we're in renewal season.
0: Ish, not not the world that I want to be a part of. Hey, Me you got either. super deep early in the year in the NFT space, and I think I was, no what well, what well, I'm I'm describing. So I uh. think it was based out of probably a little bit of. More of curiosity than anything else, because you started to see more and more NFTs pop up, and then slowly NFTs came into the golf world. And I know you did some couple deep dives, you had some really good conversations, and then you slowly saw other groups, organizations, content makers, clothing manufacturers, whatever, start basically selling off NFTs for early access, member perks, things of that nature. There's a question here from Jay Chester Mill. How come Neil isn't spearheading and he put NLU crypto coin? I'm going to change that to like an NFT-like program.
1: I appreciate that he thinks I'm that disruptive. Uh, No, I I would say that I made a really, really concerted effort to learn about it. Right? Like, I'm not... What I don't want NLU to become is like the stodgy old... Oh, that's these kid's you know, right? Then we're getting older. So that's, that's, that's a possibility, but I'm always open to like new ideas like that, you know, but, but what it boiled down to is like, it's just a new delivery mechanism for the nest. Right. And and honestly, it's a way for like us to kind of cash in on the nest in a shadier way, or potentially like, I guess you could argue that it would be an opportunity for someone to, if you applied it as a, as a Dow, a decentralized, Autonomous Organization, I think is the, what the acronym stands for. I can't remember. It would allow us to basically have, like, people could own a share of the nest, right, to right. to collectivize it, right? I think there's, in spirit, I've wrestled with that. I think that's cool. The problem, though, is it it's rooted in speculation, and it feels like a very, when you start to boil down, like, what it means it's like well why don't we just if we want people to vote on stuff why don't we just why don't we just have them vote instead of like right right because when what happens is like you're you're kind of messing up the what i kind of came to the my conclusion was you're going to mess up the incentive of the nest as an example where you're basically incentivizing the people that got in early to sell it to somebody else who didn't get then who isn't getting into it for the right reasons they're getting into it to buy low sell high later Like one thing that I'm super proud of, I check every week is our churn rate on the nest. And it's really, really, really low, like below 1%, which is sweet. And I don't think it would be like that if it was a financial, if it was engineered. I don't know. It just feels like a needlessly complex thing. And I think that there's some good ideas or there's a good spirit to it, but I don't think that it's being used in that, that way properly, you know? So, it's just, it's almost like a, something i monitor, if that makes sense. But like, I don't think that, like, I also like, let's take it like digital artwork. I would rather just sell the strap posters behind me. Right. So you can put them in your fucking studio.
0: Yeah. And
1: you can own it. And it's yours. I don't know, I don't have any desire to have a, uh, a, a, a I've never been a trading card guy though. I've never been a Pokemon card guy wasn't even really a Pogs guy, right? The whole, I don't like to collect beanie babies. I've never been a massive collector other than animal shirts and scorecards. Those are the two things that I collect. Um, but those are personally sentimental. They have no like value on a resale market. And so I think a lot of this stuff is really rooted in the, the marketplace, the resale. And I think that's the wrong pursuit for us as it applies to our business right now. But that doesn't mean that I'm like that door is shut. I won't, Listen, I, I try to keep up with that stuff. Like I find it it's interesting. Like I think and then I oh God, I find the drama of FTX and all this shit like fascinating. So very much so. I I, I hope that my conclusion on the Lynx dial stuff, for instance, earlier this year and just NFTs and stuff is not like oh fuck that, that's so stupid. It's more just like, no, not right now. Right. And like, like eh.
0: your personal opinion on things like i I'm am right there with you very interested in like believe that there is it's definitely like for certain companies or groups of of people like it makes complete sense and yeah. i think like you can have your personal view on it and be like 100% supportive but like at the same time realizing like that's just not the business that that you envision and we just tend to move like
1: we move into new things a little slower than other people I, I think that's been a massive massive positive for us yeah but like, you got to kind of keep the clutter out of your mind right and and what I've kind of learned is the most cluttering thing is like money <laughs> like and and so you could and then you could take that a few different ways I read a really good blog post six months ago by Paul Graham I can't remember the name of it he's that guy that founded Y Combinator which is like the You know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of disruption and he, his argument or his, the post was about how, um, fundraising, like raising money is like the most distracting thing for a founder. It's like, it's kind of like this double edged sword. Like you need the money, but like it puts everything on hold for six months. And I, you could say that even with partner conversations, like this time of year, which is why, like, I try to take that off of like everyone else's plate, right? Like there's a role for that, but like when it is essential to the, like existential to the company to raise this money. It kind of pauses everything. Luckily we have a relatively flat organization. So, you know, the partner stuff doesn't stop the train from moving completely, which is good. Um, but I, I just think that that's, that informs a lot of my thoughts around make more than you spend. very simple like that's rule number one right because then it's like those partnership conversations aren't going to stop your business diversify right have a few different ways that you make money merch memberships partnerships great okay am i open to a fourth fuck yeah (laughs) right but like that's but if if that fourth division is rooted strictly in like basically financially engineering like the if the purpose of it is to like I don't know. The purpose of the NFT stuff is just like money or like stores of value, you know, or like you could say, yeah, it's a way for people to get paid for their creative work. I get that, you know, but I don't know if anybody really wants a a highlight shank reel that only they own, but everybody can watch. Like, I don't know if that's valuable, right? I don't really want to put my energy into that. I'd rather just make the shank reel and laugh about it.
0: Yeah, and let people, the audience that we care deeply about, like, enjoy it, which is why this is the same organization that doesn't believe in, like, YouTube ads or anything else like that. Like, we do everything possible to ensure that the viewer experience is forefront uh, of our thought of things that we're putting out there. So, I guess, if and I try to play devil's advocate with myself a lot,
1: which would be like, okay, so, and I think the fact that we are diversified and we, we don't, make spend more than we make all that, all that stuff makes it easier for us to stay focused. But if we were 100% based on like making our money off YouTube ads or partnerships, then the idea of decentralizing, it does have some weight. Yeah. Which is like, okay, cool. Then you can get away from the master, you know, like you're, 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 you're at risk there. Uh Like we've, we've talked at length about like, would it would be nice to make money for the content instead of putting someone's name on the content. But then you're just kind of trading one mask for another because then your ideas are gonna get watered down by a studio or by a streaming network or something like that. So there's always a trade-off, right? And I think peop there's this romantic view of like decentralizing and like having a bunch of people have ownership in something. But then then The mob is tough to deal with, right? Like we've learned that with the nest. It gets to be like everybody, somebody pays 90 bucks and they think they're a shareholder. And it's like, I know you're a value member of the community. And I, I, but it doesn't mean that like, we may still do things that you don't like. And that's like, we didn't listen. You didn't listen to me. I quit. Okay. I'm sorry. But like, if you don't freak the fuck out on me, I'll probably, I probably explain it to you in a DM of like, yo, here's why we're doing this. Like, I I promise you we've thought about it. So there's like there's I guess the whole point of that is there's a trade-off to everything, Um, and I think people get like really attracted to the shiny new thing or the shiny new financing model or whatever it is, and I don't know, man. It's just I guess if you can just be be beholden to as as little or diversify the beholding, (laughs) you're gonna be in a better spot.
0: God, very well
1: said. All right, let's see here. Let me dive into another one. Well, let's get one from Mr. Ma himself. Best forty-yard dash time in Neil's life. I'll answer that question. I ran a four-five-seven, my senior year of high school. And actually, we didn't really run the forty in college, so that was kind of the last time that I ran it. And I, I was, I used to get so stressed out about the forty because I always, I never thought of myself as fast, and it was such a, you know, they had the leaderboard in the locker room of like who, you know, 225 bench or most bench or most squat, best power clean. And I really grinded that summer before my senior year on, on speed training and stuff. And yeah. so to get under four, six was, was a, was massive. I always had a good, I was really good off the line. I just didn't have the stride. I couldn't, couldn't get, couldn't get cooking. Um, and there I was like I a, a,
0: a science to running a, a very yeah, my, fast.
1: my stride and form wasn't great. Right. In the straightaway. But like I was always good from like 0 to 10 yards. I had, I had a pretty good get-out, as they say. Um, and I, I think I had some decent game speed. I had a 70-yard like, pick-six in high school, which was sick. And I just outran the whole fucking pious football team. Hell yeah. Which was dope. So, babies and memories, Cody.
0: You ever For run sure. a 40? I mean, I'm sure I have before. But that, that's they not, don't do that, that means nothing to me.
1: Basic training, they don't make you run a 40?
0: no. Not at all. They just
1: make you run for miles.
0: Yeah, you run, you ruck. Uh, probably the proudest thing is like distance covered with weight for me. That's probably the only like similarity. Which what's
1: that I what's the record? What's what's the what's the gold standard for
0: you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you want to move like we would routinely have timed twelve mile ruck marches, uh, and you would want to get them, you know, comfortably. Comfortably under three hours. So you're you're really by that you're like looking around like two and a half hours. So what's
1: your what's your mile split on something like that?
0: You want to be able to get basically a mile done in ten to thirteen minutes. Fuck. That's uh carrying like 65, 70 pounds. So it's moving. it's a trot, I would say, a solid yeah. trot. Which is hard because you're also doing this in boots and like full uniform and stuff like that, carrying a gun. So it's not like you're just moving your arms. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say, like sometimes putting it on 10
1: minute miles on the treadmill <laughs> after a couple yeah. of miles, I'm hurting. It's like a that's grind.
0: That's a that's moving. That's moving. That's good stuff. God, Neil, we covered a ton today, and what I want to do is I'm going to pull it short here. First of all, because I just want to say thanks to you first and foremost. Thanksgiving week, very thankful for you, not only for your friendship, but, you know, everything that you do for me and Yari and the kids. You're, you're you're just a phenomenal person. Very proud and thankful to be part of this company. But ultimately, you know, the girls have their Thanksgiving luncheon today. Ooh. And I am so, so excited to go look at all their little paper turkeys that they made and to eat some horrible cafeteria mashed potatoes and everything yeah. else like that. Yeah, big plans for Thanksgiving. Heading to
1: Atlanta. Pumped. Pumped to see the fam. Ooh, uh, right. Aunts and uncles, you know, see Freddie, Gus. We, you know, yeah, it's going to be a good one. We always, My mom does a great job. She hosts every year. But, you, you know, it's starting to be like, hey, that might not be the tradition moving forward. Right. Starting, just have my parents in town. Uh, very thankful. First time I've ever been able to host them
0: where I live. It's really cool. Since I left home. Think about that. Did, was it a feeling of like, this is different, but also like, hopefully very proud. Very, I, well, it didn't hit me until like Monday. I was like, you hey, know, I've never,
1: every time they came to San Francisco, New York college doesn't matter. It just don't have room. Yeah. And even Florida, like isn't, you know, they're not staying at the kill house. Like, <laughs> The, so, and I was, my mom, I'm always just eternally looking for her approval. She, yes. she loved our apartment. She, they had, we have a, a guest bedroom. They stayed. It was great. And, uh, you know, it was really nice to have some one-on-one time with them. A lot of times love, love my nephews. Can't wait to see them. But when, you know, it's the whole family getting together. It's usually about the kids. Of course. So it was nice. And, and a lot of times when you, uh, what I realize is when you don't, when they don't stay with you, everything becomes a little formal. Hey, let's meet for lunch here. Yep. Let's meet. Let's go for a walk. We'll meet up with you guys at 11 a.m. And this was really nice to wake up and make a pot of coffee and just chill for like an hour or two, and then figure it out, you know. And the franchise finally got to see Dave Matthews live. Uh, he he's assured me that he saw them in a Charlottesville bar in the <laughs> early '90s. So I guess this is the second time he's seen them. Um, but he was a kid in the candy store at MSG, rode the subway. And they, you know, they didn't get stabbed or pushed onto the tracks, so they were pumped about that. It was like a, a true adventure for Peg and Steve in the uh, in the big city.
0: It was great, awesome to hear. Well, I hope you have a very good Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll pick it up after the holidays. Big stuff happening in December for us. I'm excited for a little bit of time off, but really just getting tour sauce out the door and, and closing out the year on on the right foot.
1: We're 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 heading in the right direction. I'm pumped for sure. so and thank you cody
0: yeah of course
1: thankful for you as well all right